There's a new book out from an insider that knows he's worked in the intelligence community. He's worked in the Pentagon. He's worked at the White House 16 years under both administrations. And he watched the deep state. He's exposing it all in his new book. And he's on today. Cash Patel. We're going to talk to him. Uh, also, we we tell you about the bizarre things that are happening up in Alaska and uh, more on the strange goings on uh, of Russell Brand and others. Um, we have two stories today of people speaking out, one of them speaking out uh, and then put into an insane asylum here in America. What's what what's going on? All this and so much more on today's podcast. Here it is. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Man, I am so concerned about the government shutdown and Pat is here to share my panic. Oh man, I'm scared. Oh. I'm scared. What are we going to do? I don't know. Same thing we always do. Only it'd be better cuz <laughs> uh they're spending less of our money. But can they? Can they Can they spend less, less of, of our, our money? money? Well, they have to if the government shuts down. Wow. Which is the beauty of a government shutdown. They have to do all the necessary things like pay out the Social Security benefits and, and the veterans benefits and all of that. They have to continue to do that. Yeah. And they do. Including the interest. Right. You know, you right. notice that they're not talking about defaulting on the debt this time. That's no. weird. Huh. That's weird because that, that was their weird. biggest. Isn't it? Yeah. That was their biggest concern. We're going to default on the debt. Right. We're gonna de- I haven't heard word one of defaulting no, on the either. debt. I haven't no, either. No. That's weird. Now they're just trying to say. Do you know these Republicans? They want to have a government shutdown because they want to they want to shut down the ATF. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least we're honest about it. You know, yeah. all the things you want to yeah. do. You're like, oh, how dare you? We want to take guns away. We love guns. I was kissing mine last night. Oh, it's, I clean the tongue. I clean the barrel of my gun with my tongue. I love it so much. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. while we're at it, maybe the FBI too. Maybe that could go as maybe well. Maybe that could go. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. The IRS. That uh, wouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, that wouldn't be a bad thing. Department of Education. Yeah. Get rid of all the non-essential nonsense. Yeah. Kevin McCarthy says we're not going to default. We have a number of days until funding runs out. Do you know what we didn't have until uh, until 1980? Government shutdowns. We never had them. If, uh, you know, if the budget wasn't done mm-hmm. and it happened many times, you know, since 1776 and the budget wasn't done, they just uh, went on. And uh, no big deal. The, the budget will be finished soon. Mm-hmm. But now, after 1980, I wonder what changed. Huh. I wonder what changed because now we have to shut it down. Yeah. No, we really don't. We really don't. I mean, it's all funny money in the first place. Yep. You know? That's so, for sure. Uh, the, um, the House Republicans are working hard today to get everybody on the same page, and that is, yeah, we should stop spending all of this, uh, this money, you know? Uh, and what do you say? We just start with a few things like, no, the taxpayer shouldn't pay for abortions. 
uh, and uh, send people on a vacation at our expense. And then at the end of that vacation, uh, they have an abortion. No, uh-uh. no, no, I don't think so. Mm-mm. Um, How do you feel about uh, the money going to Ukraine, though? You love this for small business loans. And well, uh, now, hold on just a second. We're mm-hmm. trying to help them win a war. Yes. Let me uh, let me yeah. give you a couple of <laughs> clips from CBS. When's the last time 60 Minutes oh, man. actually did something where you cared about? Yeah. Uh, well, they did this weekend. Listen to this from 60 Minutes. Cut one. American taxpayers are financing more than just weapons. We discovered the U.S. government's buying seeds and fertilizer for Ukrainian farmers God. and covering hmm, the salaries of Ukraine's first responders. Yeah, All 57,000 of them. Jeez. That includes the team that trains this rescue dog named Joy to comb through the wreckage of Russian strikes looking for survivors. Hey, don't mind helping that one. And the US also funds the divers, who we saw clearing unexploded ammunition from the country's rivers to make them safe again for swimming and fishing. Russia's invasion shrank Ukraine's economy by about a third. We were surprised to find that to keep it afloat, the U.S. government is subsidizing small businesses. Wait, what? Hold it. Okay, now the dog thing. Okay, if we can help out on the dog thing, fine. And it seems to be uh, it's connected to the war. Yeah. And, you know, the finding the unexploded bombs in the rivers. Okay. Okay. Mm. Um, But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Paying 56,000 firefighters to show up. You know, we're also paying the government salaries. And we're paying the people's social security. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're not even paying it here. And every dollar that we print to send over there is causing inflation here. So while our, while, while we are getting poorer and poorer, it's almost like it was designed to be this way. While we are getting poorer and poorer, uh, they're, they're getting bailed out by our government. And every time we send a dollar over there, you get poorer. And it's not because it's taking money. It's because we're printing money. Inflation. So now we find out that they're also, they're not helping small businesses here. No, 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 no. When we had COVID, no. Home Depot. Sure, Home Depot. I mean, they're safe. But the ma and pop stores, they're completely unsafe. Huh. And now we're paying, but wait, there's more. Cut two. Russia's invasion shrank Ukraine's economy by about a third. We were surprised to find that to keep it afloat, the mm-hmm. US government is subsidizing small businesses. Mm. Like Tatiana Abramova's knitwear company. Oh. These are Ukrainian towns. Yeah. That's Kiev, I recognize. Oh, that is very nice. Especially in the condition of war, we have to walk. Mm-hmm. We have, have to, to pay taxes. Oh, we have, have to pay, pay wage salary oh, to no. our employees. Oh. We have to walk. Don't right. stop. Yeah. Why does that help yeah. Ukraine win the war? Because economy is the foundation of everything. Okay, we realize so that it's the aid <laughs> wow. from government, but it's the aid from the heart of every mm. ordinary American person. Okay, so wait. wait hang on just a second. <laughs> 
I'm not sure that all that aid is from the heart of every American because <laughs> uh, we didn't so. know it. If if they would have asked us to help out, we would have been we would have been great. We are the most uh, charitable nation in the history of the world, and we would we do give yes, we do charitably correct uh, more than the rest of the world combined. Correct. But instead, they went through our government yeah. and our government didn't yep. tell us what they're doing. And they are doing things mm. that are causing us pain and not just pain. What's happening here is we are destroying ourselves. We're giving them all of our tanks and ammunition that we are now dangerously low, dangerously low. We don't have enough uh, howitzer shells now to do any kind of war. And we can only make 25,000 of those a month. Russia's using 60,000 a day. A day. So, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable with this. We've also destroyed our own um, oil supply. Our strategic oil reserve, almost gone. We're destroying our ability to make oil, to find oil, to refine it into gasoline. And yet, we're sending stuff over there. We're letting everybody have whatever they want over there, including fertilizer, which our farmers are being told we can't use anymore because of global warming. Huh. Now, that's weird. How come it's okay for Ukraine, but not for us? You haven't even passed a farm bill over here to help our farmers, but we're buying their grain over there, which, by the way, because they're getting free grain, they're planting crops. They can now sell it at such a low cost that Poland has said, you're killing our farmers. We, we can't support you anymore, Ukraine. See what happens when man starts to get involved in ways that he shouldn't get involved? See what happens? All of the uh, unexpected consequences that come from this? Or maybe they are expected. So now the Biden administration is requesting over $20 billion more. We wondered how they were paying for it. We wondered where it was going. Well, there are some things that you should probably know. Uh, there is there is some questioning of some of the people that were in uh, the administration over there and um, and part of the group that was getting the money and divvying it out. I think about uh, 60 of them now uh, are actually being investigated, are going to jail or have lost their jobs. Um, because they were corrupt and taking and using our money for other things. I just didn't know we were paying for everything over there. Things that we wouldn't pay for us over here. Didn't know that. Just Nobody did. Didn't know that. Except mm -mm. the administration. Yeah. Until Sunday with 60 Minutes. Yeah. And USAID, which is now run by Cass Sunstein's wife. Remember her? Mm -hmm. uh, she's in charge of USAID, and that's where all of this money is coming from and, and being distributed through. Now, one last thing. You know, that lady at least sounded grateful. 
I want you to listen to the Ukrainians. Um, mm, tell us how they really feel about our money, your money. Listen. The country's fighting for its survival, bankrolled in large part by U.S. taxpayers. The outcome may be decided by America's willingness to keep paying. Some Americans say we're very sympathetic to you Ukrainians, but we're going through tough times at home and we just can't afford to keep on supporting you. Ukrainians pay their lives. Ukrainians pay with their lives. And, uh, and I believe and I hope that their lives cost much more than money. That their lives much count more than, much more than money. Taxpayers' money. Much more than taxpayers' money. Their lives wow. count much more than taxpayers. Wow. Money. Yeah, it does. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- although nobody asked us. Now, mm-hmm. this is what Joe Biden is talking about when he calls for a when he's saying it's going to be a government shutdown. You don't have to shut it down. Just agree to not send any more money over to Congress and then propose exactly what you want and exactly where it's going. Go through the proper channels for it. But you don't want to do that because, you know, I mean, I find it amazing that that CBS in 60 Minutes ran this right at the beginning of the budget stuff. Yeah. Incredible. That says something. Yeah, it does. It says even they. Are getting fed up now with the shenanigans of this administration? Hopefully, I, hopefully, I hope so. And and I think you know we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I, I think even the liberals in the media are disgusted with this president, and they see the fact. And even if they're not disgusted, they understand he's a problem, and he might not win because people are seeing how compromised he is mentally and physically. And so this might be part of encouraging him to exit. By the way, um, we now have photos of the ambassador, the American ambassador that uh, uh, was over in Ukraine, meeting twice with the Burisma official after being told the firm was corrupt. So we were told... That they didn't know anything. It's impossible to not know that Burisa, Burisma and the head of Burisma was a total oligarch that literally beheads the people that uh, he that are in his way. And our American ambassador was told, as was Joe Biden, don't meet with these guys. Don't. They're really, really bad. But the Burisma official who worked closely with uh, Hunter Biden was invited to two separate events by the U.S. ambassador. For what reason? For what reason? After she was told, have no contact with this person. What was going on? What is still going on? Why are we bankrupting America? This isn't America 1960, 1950, 1940. We have lost our manufacturing base We are now in the midst of losing our cheap energy, and we have lost our cheap labor. So what made America America in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s was we had cheap labor, we had abundant cheap energy, 
We had all of our natural resources. Uh, and nobody else had anything. Well, now we don't have those things because they've been taken off the table. And now when we do a Marshall Plan, by the way, in, a, in inflation-adjusted numbers, we are only about $50 billion away, and Joe Biden wants another $20 billion today. We're about $50 billion away from the cost of the entire Marshall Plan, which rebuilt wow. Europe. Wow. Where is all that money? <laughs> Where is all that money? That's, and how? Ex- and how what do, do you want to bet? We're past that number already. Oh, I think in reality, in reality, we don't have any are. idea how much uh, has been sent. So when they say, "Well, we're gonna, we are some extremists that want to shut the government down," I don't think it's extremist. I really mm-hmm. don't. With all of the corruption, which we'll get into here in a second, mm-hmm. all of the corruption that seems to be everywhere now, everywhere. All of these deals being made with foreign countries by our senators and our our House members. On top of that, the incredible spending. I think it would be a good idea to shut it down. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. Russell Vote, welcome to the program, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Glenn. So you were on, I think, even a year ago, and we were talking about you know, what they need to do. And the people in the house were talking, that's what we're going to do. And they never did any of it. And now here we are at the last hour again, trying to scramble and figure out what are we going to do so we don't have another CR. Exactly. I mean, this year started with so much promise and opportunity to have a real debate about woke and weaponized defunding of the bureaucracy and Kevin McCarthy basically threw that out the window of the negotiating table when he decided he was going to be in coalition with Hakeem Jeffries. Mm. And then he used as an excuse, he said, oh, we'll do it during the appropriations process. None of us believed it at the time, but that was his argument. And now, lo and behold, by the way, he moved none of the uh, or one of the appropriations out of the many appropriations bills and intentionally created a, a pile up at the end of the fiscal year to jam conservatives. And now conservatives are saying, we're not doing that. We're going to insist on doing appropriations bills, and then we're going to insist on policy riders to defund the weaponized portions of the federal government under the banner of no security funding. And that would apply to border security, energy security, ensuring the rule of law, the Department of Justice. And that's going to be an important debate as we head towards this leverage point at the end of this week with regard to the lapse of the annual fiscal year. Could you explain for the average person that may not know what a CR is and not know that how a how our Constitution says we're supposed to work as a country? Sure. In the in the jargon of of budget speak, a continuing resolution basically says we're just going to continue you at last year's funding level and we may make a few changes on top of it. But it ends up being a very small bill because you're extending all of, in this case, Biden uh, federal government spending, which is, is militant. It's not just big, it's, it's aimed at us. So that's why it's so harmful. The, the way it's supposed to work is that you have an annual uh, debate on the Department of Agriculture, or the EPA, the Department of Defense, and we've gotten out of the business of, of having that debate on the House floor 
And what ends up happening is that the de- is it's all crafted behind closed doors. It, and it's just a, they put them all together. You'll, you'll hear another word called the omnibus bill. That's bad, too. They'll put it together and then they'll attempt to just jam it through in the night of day in, in the, at, the, at, the, at, at late at night and expect members to not have read it. And what these members are saying is we're done. It's not we're not doing that process anymore. But it's more than just a process. It's about, to your point earlier, using this leverage point to actually save the country, because this is the last leverage point that we have heading into next year because of some of the other decisions that Kevin McCarthy has made. And what are those decisions that he's made? He extended the debt limit to the to the new administration. And so when you take essentially one of your few leverage points and, and push that past into 2025, now you're left only with funding leverage. And in, in Congress, there are very few must-pass bills. We call them must-pass bills. That the car, it forces the cartel to act. And the cartel hates these because they then have to stop governing behind closed doors at agencies where they legislate apart from Constitution, of, apart from the Congress. They have to come in to Congress and get these things passed. And we only have about two or three of them this is one of the, the, the last impactful one to be, be able to defund the woke and weaponized bureaucracy. So tell me when this changed. It was 2008. And why did they do a continuing resolution in 2008? Yeah, I mean, it, this, has been, this has been a problem that is growing for years. Uh, each year is a little differently based on the interests of, of, of what's going on in play. Sometimes... A, a continuing resolution is is better than an omnibus, but still bad. And so it's hard to t- say what was going on. But all of it is is a natural progression of the cartel year in, year out to basically avoid the House floor, to avoid debate amendments and doing real budgets and to push it behind closed doors in, in, in that fashion and to make it so that it's very, very painful and stark. So we just found out from 60 Minutes uh, this last weekend that we are now paying for every firefighter in uh, Ukraine. You know, we're, we're paying for their equivalent of Social Security, many of their um, agencies we're paying for. Um, but we're also paying for their small businesses and bailing out all of their small businesses. All of that causes inflation to an incredible degree here in America. How do who knew about this? Well, I think we've had suspicions about what has been all of these taxpayer dollars been used in Ukraine. We're now hearing more and more reporting of it. But this is the fundamental problem when you are cutting these enormous checks for Ukraine and you're putting yourself in a position that the, the country will will help escalate a war in Europe at the expense of our taxpayers and our consumers here in this country. And then you find out it's not just for, for weapons that are going to be hard for us to replace on our own stockpile, but it is for the, basically the funding of their domestic economy. And it's totally outrageous. And it's one of the reasons why I think we're going to have a big fight this week on whether Kevin McCarthy has to stick by his, his, his commitment to strip out all the Ukraine funding. I think that'll be one of the, the points of drama that we look to this week. And I'm thankful that some of this reporting has come out 
because this is, you know, the country is increasingly outraged by our, our, our spigot with regard to funding Ukraine. And it puts them in a situation where it's not unlike the Fed, right? When the Fed has low interest rates for far too long, people make bad investment decisions and you have a, a bubble. This is like the foreign policy version of it. When, when we don't force them to make their own determinations by their own resources, they have an overextension of, of what they feel they can get away with and they don't make good decisions. And so it doesn't help them and it certainly doesn't help us. So you put out seven points on the things that you think should transpire um, since they, they don't have the, uh, the votes for a CR, right? So we Correct. know that they can't do a continuing resolution um, and that could open us up to a government shutdown. Do you have any idea of uh, how solidified the uh, Republicans are on this this uh, showdown with the left? The House conservatives are very solidified. And as a result, because of the slim majority, we're going to have a shutdown. I, I'm, I'm convinced of it. Uh, there are certainly a huge portions of the majority, the House Republicans, that want to avoid that at all costs. And most of the Senate, the Senate will be cr- criticizing anything that the House does that is at all righteous. And so uh, I do think there'll be a shutdown. I do think that the House conservatives have the ability this time because McCarthy's political capital is so depleted from the from the previous debt deal that they will be able to force this fight. And the question will be at that point execution uh, and being able to hold strong, hold the line and be able to really, you know, message to the American people what this debate is about. And really, I think it's about this. Do they feel secure? on the host of issues facing them from this government. And I I think that answer will be a resounding no. And I think that's an opportunity to win uh, a debate like this with, with and manage the political risk that comes from it. But I always think the political risk is overblown, quite frankly, from a shutdown when Republicans and conservatives fight, the the voters reward them in the next election. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think we will see that in this case as well. So tell me this job, then if we, if we shut down the government, it, I mean, we can pay our bills. We, we're not going to default. All of these, all of these things that they've been saying for so long that are just untrue. Uh, but it is your former job, right? The office of OMB to make the money that we do have work and keep critical things open. Is that right? That is right. And you, you're hitting on the main thing, which is that, you know, Social Security checks go out, Medicare payments occur. Uh, people, you know, the, the Department of Defense just doesn't all of a sudden, you know, go home. Uh, all of these things in terms of what we think of the federal government being open is, is, is in play. What is not in play are things like the regulatory agenda of the Biden administration at the EPA. Those people have to go home and, and not work. So one of the, the tasks of, of OMB is to, is to make sure that things stay open, that are vital to the security of, of property and the, the American people, uh, life and, and, and things of that nature. And so that was one of the things we did. And we, we set a high bar. We said, you know, we're going to make this as painless as possible for the American people consistent with the law. And we did that. And I think it's going to be hard for them 
to play the games that they previously did, trying to shut down the, the, the memorials and the national parks when they don't have to um, and get away with it. And I, I think we will be holding them accountable as much as we possibly can. Yeah, well, um, I think people have a very, very short memory, um, especially when there was no pain uh, when you did it. There was no real pain. Um, and they are, why aren't they using the we're going to default uh, argument this time? Well, the default argument is largely one with regard to the debt limit. So when you're a funding situation, uh, now you're, you know, the framing of the attack changes to one about here's here's X government services and it's no longer available to you. Uh, your, your life will shut down. Uh, I think it's going to be harder also for them to make that argument. We're in the aftermath of COVID. I mean, they shut the economy down for for right. for you know weeks. And so. Uh, you know, people have lived through that. So, you know, the loss of 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 some, you know, timely grant is not going to be uh, uh, rise to the same level that that it once did, in my view. OK, so uh, we're talking to uh, Russell Vote. He is uh, the um, president of the Center for Renewing America. He's also the former Office of Management and Budget, the former director of uh, of that. So what should they be aiming for and what do you think they could get if they stand firm? So what we've called on them to do is to ensure that, you know, that we crush the woke and weaponized bureaucracy with a major cut to non-defense spending and bringing it back to pre-COVID levels, which would be about a 20% cut. Uh, and obviously we, you and I could do much more cutting in a long weekend. But in terms of really sending a massive signal uh, to the bureaucracy, it would be about a 20% cut. And that's what they should be doing. And I would, I would put on top of it some very clear parameters. We call it fencing in the money. Uh, none of the funds can be used for disinformation uh, campaigns that are used against conservatives. None of the funds can be used by the FBI to target conservatives or any really anyone from the standpoint of just living their life um, and trying to express their viewpoints under the First Amendment. So that's the type of things that we would be aiming for and we're encouraging them to do is to say, when you fund this stuff, you are funding your this federal government to be aimed at you. And that's that honestly, that is something that is a penny that has finally dropped with the with much of these this this Congress to understand, like, let's stop focusing on the spending that's on autopilot when you at the exclusion of the stuff that you vote on every year in budget language, we call it discretionary spending. And that's the, the federal government we interact with on a daily basis that needs to be defunded. And we need to be having a debate about the fact that we are funding gay pride activists in Senegal, gay pride events in Prague, that we're funding the NASA space camp in Pakistan. These are, these are totally winnable debates on each and every day if they choose to have them and explain to them the, what the, their tax dollars are going to be able to be funded with. Uh, it, it is shocking to me that they are willing to let the government shut down over a fight of 20% cuts and not 20% cuts uh, to bring us back to 2010, but just to bring us back to the outrageous spending levels that we had before COVID. That, that's incredible that we won't cut back 20% that we gained in COVID. 
If you can't win that debate, Glenn, I don't know why we send Republicans to Congress. I mean, if, if, if you can't use a leverage point to have that very simple debate and bring it back and, and send that message to the bureaucracy, I mean, it, it's just unjustifiable. Unbelievable. Um, do you think they're going to stand and do it? I think right now we're in a really good place with conservatives uh, united to try to force this as a leverage point. Um, you know, the establishment is powerful. They, they were, they're going to lose their minds. They're already starting to on all of the, the different uh, legacy media. And but this here's the, here's why I'm optimistic. This crew, this 20 and larger, and it's grown over the course of this year. And folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene are coming back into the team. This this group held strong and had historic change that was that was potential in January. They have that that chance now, and I think they're going to use it. I sense a, a great commitment in them, and the margins are such that they, we don't need all Republicans to stick right. together. We just right. need those twenty. Thank you very much, Russell. I appreciate it. Russell Vote. He is uh, from the Center for Renewing America and former director of the Office of Management and Budget. You can find him at his website, AmericaRenewing.com. AmericaRenewing.com. Back in a minute. The best of the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. I want to bring somebody on here. We're going to go back to Canada in just a minute. Cash Patel is with us. He is the former Department of Defense Chief of Staff, former De- Deputy Director of National Intelligence, and he has released a book today called Government Gangsters. This is a tell-all book that is a real tell-all book. Um, we welcome him to the program now. Cash, how are you, sir? I'm good, Glenn. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, I, I've, got a, I've got a lot of questions. We're going to have to have you back maybe next week. But, um, no problem. So Donald Trump said you're, he's going to use this book as a blueprint mm-hmm. To help take back the White House and remove these gangsters from government, who really is running the country? Is it the president? Is it Congress? Or is it the deep state? No, I wish it was. I wish it wasn't the deep state. I wish I didn't write a book called Government Gangsters about taking out the deep state. I served for 16 years in Democratic and Republican administrations, and the entrenched class that I saw rise up the ranks and make themselves public when Donald Trump was uh, the president of the United States was not anything I expected in the United States of America. We fought them, doesn't matter if they were Republican or Democrat, more than we fought the levers of Congress, more than we fought the mainstream media, and more than we fought um, the political enemies that Donald Trump had. They think the levers of government and positions are there to serve their own egos. And I was shocked that you saw it, not just in DOD, but at DOJ, FBI, NSA. And, and, you know, a good friend of mine was like, look, this is a moment in time in history where you have to put it out there for the American people to digest and understand in a credible fashion and not use hyperbole. And that was the mission with government gangsters. Hopefully we, we did that. So um, was there a point, I mean, working, you know, 16, uh, 16 years, uh, did you think, ah, this isn't true. At what point did you think, Wait a minute, there might be something to this deep state idea. What was your first encounter that showed you how rotten to the core this thing really was? Well, I I was the lead prosecutor for the Benghazi terrorist attacks at Maine Justice. 
And that led me on the trail of the Hillary Clinton email fiasco. Of course, this was before anybody ever even knew about it. And when I raised that specter at DOJ, they thought I was out of my mind. And the rest is history. So when that happened, I said, wait a second. Why are we not prosecuting the 17 terrorists that killed four Americans? I remember Attorney General Alec Holder walked in the room and said, nope, we're only going to prosecute this one guy. Everything else is too political. And I was just, I was floored. I was like, wait a second, I'm a career, you know, national security prosecutor guy here trying to take out the bad guys and then fold that over into Russiagate, which I then ran for Chairman Devin Nunes. And I saw how the FISA court process was broken, was ruptured, and the FBI and DOJ committed unlawful acts to illegally surveil a presidential candidate. Whatever your politics are, I was just shattered uh, by that faith in justice, having used the FISA process to actually manhunt terrorists. So those two events sort of like gelled it together for me. And then, of course, Donald Trump gets elected and it was on steroids after that. Yeah. So is there... um but what is the percentage of people that are involved, knowingly involved, uh, and and how much of the government does it cover? All of it? It covers every agency and department, everything, all of it, all the administrative places, legislative, executive, even the judiciary. Now we've seen one of the moves I call for in government gangsters is we've seen those that don the black robe of justice on the bench uh, mediate uh, judicial rulings based on political ethos. And so I would say it takes up about 10% of all government bureaucracy, the deep state, the entrenched class. And that's why I think we have the ability to remove them and secure this country and the levers of justice again for the American people. If it was any more than that, we'd have a whole nother problem. But that 10% has become so powerful, they drown out. Then that's what I want to highlight in my book, the many great Americans that continue to do the mission. I get calls every day from people at the FBI, DOJ, and DOD, thanking us for the work we're continuing to do to try to correct course here. And, why, and aren't they, why, aren't they, why aren't there more of them standing up then? I, I, yeah, that's the great question. We try to do it. We try to help whistleblowers along. And I think um, the, the, the political retaliation that you see for those that stand up, I mean, just look at a couple of the FBI whistleblowers. They were removed from their jobs, paid, uh, their pay was suspended. One of them was moving across the country with four little children and couldn't afford to pay rent. That's what they do to you um, if you dare to come forward. So we have to build institutions to help them do that. We're working on all of that, but it takes, unfortunately, it takes time. And a lot of these people, they just want to serve. That's what they went to government to do is to serve quietly. And, and um, I think you're right, though. We need some more people to come forward. So when when you think of the deep state, I think a lot of people think it's a bunch of Dr. Evils making plans in some you know underground dungeon, <laughs> you know, some cabal. What is it? How does it really work? What is it really like? You know, I think it used to be like that maybe 15, 20 years ago. Now the deep state is just in your face publicly out there because they use they're mainstream media partners in the fake news. There is no deep state, no government gangsters without them. They leak information to them. They did it in Russiagate, Ukraine impeachment one, two, Hunter Biden laptop, 51 Intel letter, you name it. They have the playbook written out. When a political narrative is out there that they want to defeat, they get their, they call their few friends in government and they say, okay, what do we want out there? How do we help defeat Donald Trump's agenda? How do we help defeat the conservative movement? And that is how they operate because they get full cover. In this two-tier system of justice, they know they are never going to get prosecuted internally as long as they are serving the mission of the government gangsters. And it's, again, it's not a Republican Democrat thing. In my book, I probably call out more Republicans than I do Democrat in the back index where I name every government gangster. Name some of them. 
Bill Barr, Mark Esper, Gina Haspel, um, Rod Rosenstein, Chris Ray, Merrick Garland, Lisa Monaco, and so I uh, probably have 70 others in the back of the book there. That's just a few. And have you connected them to each other, or is this just look at what they're doing? Uh, that must mean they're in the deep state. I will give you, I've, that was the great point. I, I've connected them, and I'll give you a fantastic example. Rod Rosenstein, who wrote the unlawful FISA warrant against President Trump, who covered up um, the Devin Nunes and I's investigation on Russiagate when Chris Ray was the FBI director, and they threatened to investigate us. A story for another day, but they actually did subpoena my records when I was a senior staffer on Capitol Hill. And Gina Haspel, who was the CIA station chief in London, who authorized the launch of Russiagate. Um, later became CIA director. Do you know where Gina Haspel and Rod Rosenstein work today? At Christopher Ray's old law firm in Washington, D.C. Holy cow. Um, is the next president, no matter who he is, is he going to be able to do this? I mean, if 10% of the government and all of the media, how does a president even begin to to operate and and shut these things down. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a multi prong uh, sort of game that you have to level. And the one thing that you have to start with is personnel. And I think the one thing the Trump administration learned in the first term was you can't trust these entrenched government bureaucrats and anyone that they've ever talked to and anyone that recommended them is out. We are working. I'm obviously in all in for president Trump on the personnel package that should come with him. Um, should he win the presidency. But also what you need is Congress to come in and suspend the budgets of the people that have robbed us of our, of our system of justice at the FBI, at DOJ, and zero out these line items and eliminate the seats and the billets, as we call them, that just endlessly grow government morass to no end to feed places like the defense industrial complex. You have to have all three branches firing at the same time, but it starts with a huge personnel package and it starts with a massive, massive funding um, expenditure removal uh, based on corruption. When you're looking at the FBI, DOJ, CIA, intelligence, can they be fixed? Yes, they can. It's going to be a monumental list. I'll give you a little example I talk about in Government Gangsters. When I was Deputy Director of National Intelligence, we cut 10% of that workforce, even though everybody told us you can't fire anyone in government. That's just not true. Nobody had the will to do it. You got to go to Congress. You got to tell them, hey, take this out of our budget immediately. I don't want this seat. I don't want this position for next year. And you can remove people who've com who committed acts of corruption and unlawful, unethical behavior. So you can do it. You just have to have the people across the board. We didn't have that. We had guys like Barr and Esper and Gina Haspel blockading <laughs> the Trump administration's mm -hmm. agenda and keeping their personnel protected. They all were talking to each other continuously. And remember, Rod Rosenstein agreed to wear a wire because the deputy director of the FBI, Andy McCabe, told him to do it against the sitting president. And this is the levels of corruption we have to fight against. But the bench, the good news is the bench exists. I've worked with them. I know them. A lot of them are still in. Some of them left and we can bring them all back. But we're going to need a leader, in my opinion, like President Trump to put all those pieces on the chessboard. Do you have, do you think, enough people in Washington, in either party, that you could cobble together the support to do this? Does anybody in, in, in Congress or uh, the Senate, in any great number, exist Yeah, to help you? Massive. 
it's not a massive number, but I'm out there on the campaign trail for a lot of conservative candidates in both the House and the Senate, and they subscribe to the same ethos. So you got to start somewhere, and it's not going to be an overnight success, and the deep state is going to come out uh, and attack these candidates going forward, but I think there's enough of a clan of us that can get this mission across, or at least start it up uh, over the next year, which is that my, my goal is to educate America through now until next November of the election cycle to say, this is the deep state, this happened, and this is what we must do to fix it. Then, well, hopefully, once we win all levers of government, we can come in and do it. I'd like to put a chalkboard uh, together with your help on on how this thing works and what needs to be done. I'd, so I'd love to have you back uh, at some point, maybe next week, when you get off of the uh, the book tour uh, crunch here. Uh, the name uh, the name of the book is Government Gangsters. He names names. He knows he was there. If we want to end this nightmare. A couple of things have to happen. The money has got to be cut. And the, uh, the Republicans, I, I shouldn't say the Republicans, the Freedom Caucus is working on that today. And they're hammering it out on each other, trying to get this thing done. You have to give the purse strings back to the Congress. And if Congress doesn't do anything, then we vote them out and we continue to do it in larger and larger numbers. But the other is going after the deep state and identifying who these people are and where they're hiding is the most important part. You've got to identify them. Are you worried at all, Cash, about, I mean, this is movie stuff. People have died for, for less than this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, look, it, it is a, a scary sort of uh, roadmap that we've laid out. But it's the one that matters most to save this constitutional republic. So that's why there are people out there, whether it's me and you um, in the conservative voice movement that are out there that are putting the mission first, as I say, government gangsters. And I think we have enough of us to do it. But we've also got to take out the fake news media machine. And that's the bigger challenge, in my opinion, than taking out just the deep state government gangsters themselves. I think we can do it. Yes, it's going to be a brutal year. Um, but yeah. if we don't do it and we don't win in 2024, then, We're then that's it. Game over. Yeah. Thanks, Cash. I appreciate it. God bless. We'll talk to Thanks you again. Name of, the, uh, name of the book is Government Gangsters. It came out today. I will tell you, I think the mainstream media is losing its grip on America. That's why you're seeing people like Elon Musk and, and uh, Russell Brand, who may be guilty of some things, but this is a political takedown of him. Um they are going to get stronger and stronger on trying to take people down because we are becoming very effective. Na, 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 na.